Okay, we are in Luke chapter 9. Let me get my iPad up here with my notes. Uh, I know Garrett, let's see, two weeks ago, Garrett did an STS story with you uh, on Feeding the 5,000. We are going to go back through it, but we'll go through it kind of quickly. I know you guys explored it with Garrett, uh, but we're just going to start at verse 1 and uh, continue on through Luke. So let's pray together and we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the Burgert family. We thank you, Lord, for that beautiful little baby you've granted to them. And uh, we want to pray also for the Schultz family. We pray for Petrina and her family as they're saying goodbye to their uncle. We pray, Lord, that you might comfort them and, and show them your mercy. We pray also for those who aren't here tonight with us, that you just uh, be with them, give them peace, and protect their homes and these things uh, through the heavy rain that's coming. And now, Lord, teach us. Help us understand your word that we might be faithful to, to do it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 9, Continue on through the gospel of Luke. And um, let me... Get here to verse 1. Luke 9, starting at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter... Stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I'm going to stop there. So now we've, we move to the disciples' first mission trip, if you will. And they are becoming a part of the process of declaring the kingdom of God. Now, we'll see when they return to Jesus, it'll be the first time that they're referred to as apostles in the gospel. Uh, But for now, Jesus has called them together and he's given them some instruction. Now, notice that he he says he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. Now, This is one of the things I want to point out to you about God. When God calls, he equips. And it is foolish of us to think that God calls without equipping. Uh, That's actually a lack of faith and a lack of understanding of who God is and his word. We always want to understand that if God calls, if he moves us to go or commands us to go or he raises us up to go, He's also equipped, and this might even be uh, in your day-to-day because we know the Great Commission, which has yet to been given out to the disciples, um, obviously, but the Great Commission says, uh, go therefore, uh, preaching the gospel, uh, and, and with the go, it, it's, it's in a participle, so it's like while going. So the Great Commission is while you're going in your day-to-day you should be proclaiming the, the gospel of God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. And so if he's called you, he's also equipped. And this is one of the things we're learning here today is he calls the disciples to go out 
and he gives them authority over demons and to cure diseases. And I, I do want to point out, too, that Luke makes a distinction that there's a difference between demonic possession and diseases. Now, sometimes demonic oppression is manifested through sickness. We, we see that in the Gospels. But there is a difference between the two, and, and Luke covers this. He says that Jesus gave them authority over both. So not all demonic oppression was seen, or not all sickness was seen as demonic oppression, and vice versa. Now, we'll see in Luke, the woman who has been, woman who has been over for 18 long years, we read had a disabling spirit that had been given to her. So we know that, that her physical ailment was a part of demonic oppression in her life, but that's not always the case. Some people are lepers because they're lepers. Some are sick because they're they're sick, and they're dealing with the same things that you and I deal with today. But he sent them out with a specific message. I'm sorry, I can't talk tonight. He sent them out with a specific message, and that was to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Obviously, the healing is a part of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. That, that, that it was important that they take this message out to the towns that they were going to go to. Now, with it, Jesus says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. So let's talk about what they're allowed to take. Now, Mark's gospel does record a little difference, and I don't know that I can reconcile what the difference is. In Mark's gospel, the only thing that's different is they're told to take a staff. Now, there is the, the one difference is there is here it's uh, no staff, and uh, Mark's gospel is in the singular. This one's in the plural uh, in the Greek. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Personally, I don't think that that's a real satisfactory answer for the discrepancy between the two. Uh, I wish I could answer it for you, but I just don't know. So I'm, I'm not even going to try. But with it, uh, with Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, it records the very same thing. And it says, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag nor bread, nor money, do not have two tunics. By the way, the bag is not like a bag to go camping with or uh, to check on the airplane or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. The bag was oftentimes when people would go, itinerant teachers, they would go around, they would collect money, right? They, they, hey, uh, we're, ha- we're having an evangelistic episode, let's collect some money here. Uh, support support the, the teaching, get it going. And, and there's nothing wrong with like uh, giving to to ministry work or people moving around. But, but Jesus specifically tells the disciples that they're not to bring those things. And instead they're to, to just go. And they're to, to be dependent upon the Lord. And I want to say this. That is the hardest thing for anyone to pack is dependence upon God. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I've done lots of mission trips and I've been to lots of places in the world and, and I, I've been guilty of it too. You know, you're getting ready to go to a foreign country and you start packing and, and I've always said this, you can tell be, be it, whether it's backpacking or an international mission trip or an international trip, wherever it is, you can tell what people are most afraid of by what they pack. You, you can, because you'll see like uh, someone's uh, most afraid of not having medicine, so they pack a whole pharmacy in their bag. Someone's af- most afraid of not having underwear, so they pack uh, underwear for three months in their bag. It's like, 
do you have some sort of irritable bowel syndrome or what's going on there, you know? They're afraid that they have to eat food that's too disgusting and they won't be able to eat it. So what do they bring? A grocery store. Like, this is what I've seen. And, and instead of being dependent upon God saying, Lord, I'm yours. You provide, you lead, here we go. Uh, we, 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 uh, we find that that's one of the hardest things to let go of is our control. And so the disciples are told, no, 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 you're just going to be dependent upon the Lord. And let me tell you this, as, as one who's been out and uh, been traveling through and not, I, 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 I'm most afraid of camera gear not working because I bring like redundancy of camera gear. Anyway, but... Uh, but as one who's been out and traveling and, and I, I'm sitting there and I'm going to go off to different uh, refugee camps and I know that I'm not coming back or I, I don't know where if I'm coming back. I have no idea where I'm staying for the night. I'm like, okay, what do I really need here? And I'm going to leave everything else and just go. And, and I'll tell you, those moments in my life, I have been the most blessed by God. In fact, those are the moments in my life where I have just let go and become dependent upon God. All right, Lord, what do you have for me? Where am I going? Those moments are the most addicting moments in my life. And when I say addicting, I mean that God moves, and I get to witness. I have a front row seat to what God is doing, and I, and I see it happen, and I, I see the, his word come alive in that way, and I go, now I want to see it again. You know, but every time you got to ask yourself like, oh, but should I take this? You know, and well, so the disciples are told, don't take any money, no bread, no two tunics, no staff. And obviously two tunics, that's the undergarment shirt that they would wear. And a second tunic could be used for extra layer of warmth. And, and Jesus said, no, you're just going to go. You're not going to worry about those things. Because the fact is, a lot of times we get so worried about the things and our own comfort level, we forget the whole purpose of why we're there. And, and so as verse 4 says, in whatever house you enter, stay there and, and, and from there depart. So don't go house to house or jumping around houses. If you find somebody who's going to host you, and of course the other gospel is talk about this, this uh, individual, this man of peace that, that uh, welcomes them. Uh, but he says, just stay there in that home. Don't, and, you know, in our thinking we could say, oh, no, Lord, it, this makes way more sense for us to hit up a whole bunch of houses, to blanket the area, to do, I, God, we got this covered. We can take care of it, Jesus. Uh, we, we know what we're doing. And, and that's not at all what Jesus says. He said, I want, if you go somewhere and they open their house to you, stay there. Don't depart from there until it's time to leave. And then you go from there. And, and whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, this was a tradition when, when uh, the Jews would leave from Gentile areas or territory, pagan areas. The idea was you're kicking the dust off your feet, meaning I'm not taking any of them with me because they are rejecting God. That's the idea there. And so kick the dust off your feet, and it's a testimony against them about their unwilling to be hospitable to the gospel. Because that's really what the issue is. These are kingdom of representatives, and they're unhospitable to them. I think I've shared before that when I was, have gone to different camps and had no idea where I was going to stay, um, I basically just said, because I, I, just knowing the gospel, knowing like, all right, Lord, what do you have? I would just say, I'm a man of God doing God's work. Can you find a place for me to stay the night? 
<laughs> and uh, sure enough, people would host, and it was amazing. I took, I, I, you know, they were, I, they blessed me, I blessed them, and it was beautiful. And uh, and it's it's wonderful to be able to do that, not taking advantage by, of anyone by any means, but allowing them to serve the kingdom as I serve the kingdom. So. Verse 6 says, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Notice verse 6. What we have is Jesus told them what to do, and then they went and did it. That's faith. Faith is hearing God speak and responding to him with actions, with attitudes of dependence and actions of obedience. So they're exercising faith. They're going forward and doing just what he told them to do. Going through the villages, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing everywhere, representing Jesus Christ. Verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but Who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Speaking of Jesus, Herod, this is Herod Antipas, uh, who was one of the sons of Herod the Great. And he is hearing about the ministry of Jesus uh, as Jesus is, is doing his ministry. And of course, the disciples going out. He hears about it. And so he starts questioning it. Now, one of the things I love about this is Jesus doesn't really care. Do you notice that? Like Luke knows that this is happening. Uh, I'm assuming that Jesus has some idea that people are saying, hey, Herod's interested in you, but Jesus doesn't care. Because we know that those who seek him will find him. Uh, But Herod is more intrigued by him, or as the gospel says, perplexed. He's perplexed by him. Notice verse 8 here. It says, By some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So Herod is really confused by this whole situation. I killed John the Baptist, which that would be really bad for me if it's John the Baptist come back. That would be a problem. Uh, So who is this guy? Well, he he might be uh, Elijah. Uh, Elijah might have come back. Now, where are they getting this idea? Well, that's from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, we read, uh, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with decree of utter destruction. Now, uh, we've already learned that this is speaking of John the Baptist fulfilled that role of Elijah. We, we covered that earlier on in Luke in uh, chapter 1 and 2. Uh, that, that John the Baptist fulfilled this role of Elijah coming and, and proclaiming the kingdom of God was at hand. And, and calling people to repentance. So, so that's, the, that's the first assumption. We're going to see that assumption come up again later in this chapter. The second assumption is that he's one of the, the old prophets is risen again. Now, notice that there's no assumption that this is a new prophet of God or this is something different. 
it's, oh, it's somebody from the past, some powerful person from the past. And we, we almost get the sense that there is an aspect of, uh, they're, they're just like superstitious a little bit in the way they're receiving this. But this actually comes from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, this is Moses speaking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And so this passage, when Moses is speaking to Israel, if you remember Israel, as God spoke to Israel on the mountain, they all decided, we can't handle this. We, We can't do it. We can't hear from God. Moses, you speak to God. We'll listen to you. And, of course, that didn't work well at all either. But, but, and it's really sad when God's people can't hear God. Now, obviously, there's a fear of uncleanliness and, and all those sorts of things. But, but in this case, Jesus obviously has come to make us clean. And the worst person to represent you to the Lord would be me. Okay? Let Jesus Christ represent you. Because if this guy tries to represent you to the Lord and you say, okay, we'll hear from you, but that's, that's good. You're missing out on the Holy Spirit. You're missing out on being cleansed. The Bible tells uh, being cleansed of your sin. The Bible tells us that there's one mediator between man and Christ, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, he is the one who intercedes on our behalf. And so for any of us to say, well, I need a mediator but, but let it be a priest, let it be a pastor, let it be this person. No, make that person Jesus Christ alone. Let, let God be your mediator and on your behalf. And so, so going back to this in Luke 9, Herod is perplexed by this and, and they're, they're kind of reaching deep into the Old Testament saying, well, maybe it's Elijah, maybe it's uh, what Moses was speaking about, that a prophet, God's raising up a prophet from of old, and they're just coming up with uh, different ideas. And Herod is just uh, not sure what's happening. And we'll see him pop up again later on in Luke's gospel. Let's go on to verse 10. On their return, the apostles, this is the first time the word apostles is mentioned. Apostle means sent one. And in the broad sense of the word, it could be anyone who's fulfilling the Great Commission. In the narrow sense of the word, it's speaking about these individuals, these, these 12 individuals. Later on, we'll see more added into the ranks of those who are called apostles. But they were witnesses, uh, eyewitnesses of the ministry and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in the desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now I'm going to pause there for a moment. Can you imagine the apostles are coming back to Jesus I, I wonder what they were telling Jesus. Because 
they had just been out doing ministry. They had been healing, declaring the kingdom of God. They had been faithful to all that Jesus had commanded them to do, and they went and they did it, remember? They, they didn't take a purse uh, or, or a bag. They didn't take two tunics. They, didn't, they, they took only their staff. They, they did exactly what Jesus had said. They exercised faith in that moment, and now they're coming back. You know that they've got to be jazzed. Uh, maybe you've been on a short-term mission trip, and yeah, you're tired, but you're jazzed. Because you saw God work in a new way. Maybe you were out doing ministry uh, in the street or knocking doors or, or it was your first time doing ministry in some way and you are just pumped and excited that God would use you. That, that God would allow you to minister. And so I, I can only imagine what they're so excited to tell Jesus about. So Jesus says, okay, let's go away. And we'll, we'll go off to this little town called Bethsaida. And we'll withdraw. And the idea of withdrawing means we're going to get some alone time. Alone time with the master. We'll get to give our reports. But the, the, these dirty rats, they followed him. You know, the crowds, they followed Jesus and the apostles. Now, I'm not saying that the apostles are calling them dirty rats. I'm just joking around. Uh, but, but the idea is, is, oh, here comes the crowd. Man, we're going to get some alone time. And instead of Jesus saying, hey, guys, give us a break for a few days. Guys, give us a day off. I need to speak with, with these disciples here. I, I need to debrief with them. What we see is Jesus welcomed them. He welcomed them and he spoke to them uh, of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. This is a good example for anyone desiring to go into ministry. If, you're, if you have a desire to go into ministry or you are in ministry in some capacity, I want to really encourage you to, to underline that verse because well, this is what I know about ministry. You're always trying to do what, uh, what God has called you to do, but there's always somebody who needs something. And um, you don't want to say, sorry, I'm busy prepping a sermon right now. I can't talk to you. Sorry, I don't have time to take your phone call. I don't have time to visit you and pray for you. I don't have time. That's, that's not the way that works. And Jesus sets a model here for us, even in times when we think we're going to go away to get some rest. There are times when, when people need some help. They need some ministry. They need to, to be prayed for, ministered to, loved on. And if you're thinking about doing ministry or you're in ministry, recognize that you've got to be flexible. You've got to be flexible to the needs of the people. And obviously there has to be a balance there uh, because I've still got to get up on Sunday and preach a sermon, actually two sermons, uh, two different sermons. I, I, I still have to prepare to feed the people. But at the same time, I also can't say, sorry, no time for you, no time for you, no time for you. Jesus really models this for us, that he makes time for them. He welcomes them. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had the need of healing. Verse 12 says, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away. I, I like this part because this is where the twelve has gotten wiser than their master. And they're giving him the information and the instructions. Do you see the change here? Uh, they started giving Jesus the instruction uh, versus receiving the instructions and doing and once they give Jesus in the instruction, then we see things go south for them. What do I mean by that? Well, they say, send the crowd away. And because uh, we're here in a desolate place, there's no lodging. 
There's no place to get provisions. Uh, send them away. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go and buy food for all these people, you can hear it. Be reasonable, Jesus. See, this is when we know better than our master. So Jesus says, for, uh, <clears throat> for there were about, five, or sorry, verse 14, Luke says, for there were about 5,000 men. And we know from the other gospels that it's only the men. There were also women and children there. So 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish. John's gospel tells us it was a, a little boy that they got this from. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So the disciples are saying, Jesus, you got to send them away. This is, you know, there's nothing here for them. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Says, we have nothing. We don't have enough. And this, this is where we, we, we see that the disciples exercise great faith. In the beginning of the chapter, and now we see them going, well, Lord, this is not possible. Wait, weren't you guys just out healing, proclaiming the kingdom of God, setting people free from, from demons? Uh, Lord, trust me, this is a better idea. Send them away. Because it was what they saw. They only saw these five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus begins to give instruction, and they do it. So they, okay, well, we'll have them sit down in groups. And, and then Jesus takes those loaves and fishes and he multiplies them so that, that as they're passing them out, everybody is filled. Now, notice it says, they all ate and were satisfied. That means they were full. They, they, they didn't just get like a snack. It wasn't a cliff bar for the road. It was like, hey, we're full. We, we've ate our fill. Uh, and, and they're all satisfied. Now, see the picture here. What's left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. How many uh, apostles are there? So there's 12. There's 12 disciples that were sent out, 12 that were called apostles, and there's 12 basketfuls <laughs> of leftovers. <laughs> so you can just see the picture. Jesus, there's not enough food. Yeah. Faith is hard to learn, isn't it? Faith is challenging because faith always makes us not depend upon what we just see, but depend upon God to act. It means that we really have to trust the Lord that he's going to do this. And I'm not talking about blind faith. I'm not talking about just hoping real hard or rubbing a genie's lamp. I'm talking about dependence upon God for what he's called you to do. And if, G if Jesus said, give them something to eat, they should have said, all right, guys, let's ask God to provide. But instead they said, no, we got a better plan. There's not enough. Send them away. Faith is hard. It's hard to exercise faith. Because it's, it's, it's in those moments where we need to exercise faith that we find ourselves weak and unable. It's the breaking point. I was, I was uh, back in weightlifting with John Mock this week, and I hadn't been in for a while. I'm super inconsistent, but, you know, I appreciate it when I get in there and lift. 
So I'm, I'm doing bench, and I'm like, oh, man, I picked up right where I left off. I'm, like, knocking this out, and I'm like, man, I'm doing good. And then I get it down for the second set, and I'm starting to knock it out, and I'm doing really well. And then I hit number six, and all of a sudden, just nothing. Just my muscles just totally fail. I got nothing left. That's a physical example of what's happening with faith when we just got nothing, and we have to depend upon God. And so I want to encourage you when you get in those places where you, you don't necessarily understand how God's going to provide, but you know God's called you, you go. You, se- you step out. You act in faith. You trust in him. When you know God's called you to witness, to, to proclaim the kingdom of God to your coworker, when you know that God has called you to do this, and, and, and you feel him speaking to you, and you're saying, well, Lord, I'm afraid they're going to reject it. No, you step out in faith. You exercise faith. Let the, if the Lord is calling, he's also equipped. And so we move on here to verse 18. Now, before we get into verse 18, uh, tradition holds that, uh, tradition meaning that they built a church on Mount Tabor, which is south of the Sea of Galilee, um, and they called it the um, Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and tr- tradition holds that that, uh, that is where the Transfiguration, now we haven't got to the Transfiguration yet, but, but I want you to keep that in mind, that's south of Galilee. Peter's confession, the other gospel, Mark records that it was up in Caesarea Philippi, which is way in the north, okay? And, uh, and we know that the Transfiguration uh, Luke's gospel says about eight days after. Um, and, and so we know that the transfiguration happened in proximity to what we're about to read, which is Peter's confession of Christ. Now, before I, I, we get into this text, I want to sh- set the scene for you real fast about where this confession of Christ happened in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, let me go ahead and play this little vi- Can you turn off lights first before you play the video? What you're going to see here is a cave, and the cave was a temple to Pan, uh, and it was built by Herod, Caesarea Philippi was built by Herod, and so the cave is there in the center as this drone is backing up, and um, I think I'm flying legally here, but nonetheless. Uh, now, as we're backing up, so that, that was a temple of, of pagan worship. Caesarea Philippi is actually below the parking lot. You, you can't see all of it yet right now. But I want you to see the mountains around it. Okay? Um, so this is Caesarea Philippi. This is the area where, where Jesus and the disciples are. And that area was a mix of Jews and pagan idolatry. And as the drone backs up here, you're going to see on the bottom kind of left-hand corner there, those are all the ruins of, of the city of Caesarea Philippi. But you can see the mountains around. And the, the reason why I'm, I'm pointing out the mountains is because we know that Jesus led them up on a high mountain, and there are high mountains around. Okay, you can turn back on the lights. All right, so let's get into verse 18. It says, now it happened that he was praying alone, The disciples were with him, and Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And and they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that 
one of the prophets of old has risen. And so they're, they're privy to this, these rumors that are circulating about Jesus, the same things that, that Herod was perplexed about and questioning, those same ideas. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now Luke, Luke uh, summarizes the answer. Of course, the other gospels give us a little bit more complete. Matthew tells us that that uh, Peter says, you, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and, and, Peter respond, and Jesus responds to Jesus, and he tells him, you are, you are a rock, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And by the way, can you put up that scene real fast? Okay, uh, just put up the slide uh, or the video. Uh, okay, pause it right there. Okay, so um, by the way, right below there, I got to do the, the story of the transfiguration. It was pretty cool. But um, so that whole background there where the cave is, that is a massive rock, okay? When Jesus said you, uh, to Peter that you, you will be called Peter, rock, it, that's like a stone. And then he, when he said upon this rock, that's the confession that Jesus is the Christ the, of God, the Messiah, uh, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. That is what the word is for rock. The, this rock, Petra, uh, Petras, is, is that kind of rock, Petra. And uh, so, so there's a difference there. It's not saying Peter, stone. There's a little bit of a word play, but that's the difference. So you kind of picture that when you're hearing this confession of Christ. Of course, Luke again summarizes it. But, but, G, but Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Now, then Jesus goes into something that they're not ready to hear. Look at verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and killed on the third day be raised. So Peter's just made this great confession of who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who died for their sins. And, and Jesus hears it. He acknowledges it. In fact, we know from the other Gospels, he says, yes, this is true. This is wonderful uh, that, that God has revealed this to you, Peter. But then he strictly charges them not to tell anyone. Don't tell them yet. Because there are things that have to happen. There is a plan set forth by God, a sovereign plan of God, that the Son of Man must suffer things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, how many of the disciples heard this? I don't think one of them was listening. Uh, because, because even, even at, at the resurrection, when the women find the tomb and Jesus and the angels appear to them, they say, don't you remember while he was still with Gal- in Galilee, he told you that he had to die and on the third day rise from the dead. I, I love the angels' perspective sometimes on the, these things because they're like, well, he told you. Why are you guys looking all astonished? Like th- this was told to you, but you weren't listening. And so we, we know that the, the, the disciples aren't quite ready to understand this truth yet. But here Jesus is predicting that he has to suffer. He's going to be rejected. And more than that, he's going to not just going to be rejected, but he's going to re- be rejected by the religious leaders of the Jews. Those who of all people should recognize who he is. And he'll be killed and then on the third day raised. 
So verse 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, uh, uh, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so after Jesus, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God, the Messiah. Then Jesus foretells his death. Then he charges them that, hey, listen, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow after, if if you're going to follow the path that I'm laying down as your teacher, your Messiah, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross. And and this this idea is hard to understand because uh, I, I really think for the disciples, this, this idea of, of just not just dying to self, but a horrible death to self, crucifixion, taking up a cross, that means recognizing that it, it, when Jesus goes to the cross, they're going to have to say, yep, he's the Messiah. That's exactly what he predicted. That's exactly what he said would happen. And I'm proud to be his follower. I'm proud to follow after him. Jesus said, look, you, you've got to totally lose yourself. You, if you desire that to save your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What a paradox the way Jesus teaches. Because oftentimes the thing that we think we should do is the exact opposite. And that comes oftentimes with temptation or sin or when we're, we're in a, a predicament. Oftentimes there is a a trial in front of us, and the thing we think we should do is not the thing necessarily that honors God, but the thing that looks easy to do. i got to save myself, right? And, of course, Jesus taught, if you want to save yourself, you're going to lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And, of course, he says, if you want to, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world that forfeits himself? Look, you can try to save yourself among people. You can try to try to not be embarrassed by me and diminish me or, or not live for me or try to fit in with everybody else so you can profit. You can be liked, maybe even be advanced, advanced in your, in your uh, place of work or whatever the case is. But Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm ash- I'll be ashamed of you. And that's the key. Because the fact is, is the Son of Man is coming in glory. The glory of the Father, the glory and, and the holy angels. And when he comes, do you want him to be ashamed of you? Or do you want him to recognize you as his servant? That's the key here is who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So Jesus says, I tell I truly... There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We're going to answer this question next week when we get into the transfiguration. Uh, You're shaking your head at me. You want the answer now? Okay, come next week. Uh, Just by me saying I'm answering this question next week means just read ahead and you'll get it. The answer's there. It's in the Bible. 
Uh, we're going to answer this for, uh, more fully next week, but that's the question I want to challenge you all in today. We, we, we've been looking at faith all, all this chapter. Jesus commanded, the disciples obeyed and responded. Then Jesus commanded, the disciples said, there's not enough resources here. Uh, you, you need to do, do something else. And then finally, the Jesus, uh, Jesus was patient with them and brought them along. Now Jesus asked them, who, who do you say that I am? And they say, you're the Christ of God. Now he tells them, okay, that's praise God, you recognize that. But now guess what? I'm going to suffer. And you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And there's another challenge that comes with that, of faith. It's always an opportunity to exercise faith. And listen, I want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're hearing that, that question, who do you say that I am? And you don't have a good answer for that. I, I want to encourage you. You seek him. You seek him because he is the Christ of God. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He died for you upon that cross that, that you, he might give you his righteousness for your unrighteousness. He raised from the dead that you might also share in the resurrection of life when he comes in his glory. I want to encourage you, don't leave here tonight without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for the training of the, your disciples, Lord. Because certainly I, I, I need to be trained and I need to understand more. And Lord, it's so encouraging to know that, Lord, if you, if you call, you equip. If you command the resources of a heaven are available to fulfill that which you command. Lord, I thank you for your goodness toward us, and I thank you for your patience with us, even when we are weak in our faith, you are strong. And you minister to us, and you meet us right where we're at. And we thank you, dear God. And if this evening you're ready to answer that question, who do you say that I am? and you want to say, you're my Savior, I want you to pray right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm ready to follow you. Lord, I want you to come into my life. Be, be the Lord of my life. I want to know you and walk with you. I want to be forgiven of sin. I want to have fellowship. Lord, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you for your patience. And we, I just pray, Lord, that you would just lead each and every one as they grow with you. Give them understanding of your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. With that said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.